Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve Anyways, God bless you. Thank you for being here. We are continuing in a series on the book of John. And um, I'm trying to go a little bit deeper because chances are there are many of us who are here who've read the book of John a number of times. And sometimes as you go through it, you kind of just get used to the pages that go by and it kind of becomes the routine and we don't want it to be that. We want to go a little bit deeper. I want to try and explain a couple of things to us that kind of will make us appreciate what is happening at the particular time. Now, uh, the last sermon that I had two weeks ago, it was on the fact that we are dealing with the system. And it was the fact that there was a wedding in the first part of John chapter 2, but in the second part, Jesus clears out the temple. And we went into the, all the details as to what that is. And we come to the realization that there is a system have you ever really thought of that? In that particular time, it was absolutely apparent. But let's not deceive ourselves. That there is kind of a system that we have to fight, a religious system that kind of overtakes us as we kind of go every day in our walk. And I think that it's good to realize that it is there and to somehow combat it to, because sometimes it has the way of trying to harness God and you can't harness God. Sometimes it has a way of just adding rules that really shouldn't be there. And it's kind of like a form of godliness, but it kind of denies the power and eventually becomes manipulative, tries to reproduce what a move of God is and ultimately becomes something which falls way short, way short. And so we kind of see it in chapter 2, but all of a sudden in chapter 3, there's, a, there's, a, there's another part, a part 2 to it. So let me ask you, have you been a victim of the church system? I know different churches kind of have different variations of it. But I know that there are people who fall in love with Jesus, passionately, authentically serving him, despite the fact that there is this kind of system in place. And there are those people who have walked away from faith because they've been sick of the system. And there are people who are walking and who are returning back to it because they realize that despite the system, real life is in actually loving and falling in love with Jesus. And maybe I'm not too sure exactly where you are. Sometimes it's hard to find the reality in the midst of the system when we get desperately hungry in the midst of it, knowing that there's something that is there but being tired of playing the game. And as I say that, I realize that for a number of people who are here, that resonates. And for another group of people, they're saying, what in the world is he talking about? Well, sometimes I think we try to get to God by being religious, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't. And so what happens is John tries to clarify this conversation with an elite member of the religious community. His name is Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus by night. So this message today is entitled, Nick, Nick at Night. And so, John, let me tell you, is the only one of the Gospels that mentions who this character is. Three times. He mentions them in John 3, where the major conversation is. 
But we also hear of him in John chapter 7 and at Jesus' death in John chapter 19. And he has a lot of things to say. And if if John hadn't wrote about him, we would have never understood his presence, his passion, his participation. And the fact that this character, I believe, can be a lot like us. So let's read about him. We're going to be looking in John chapter 3. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be starting at John chapter 2, the last few verses. And the reason that I want to do this is because I think it explains a lot. I think we miss out if we don't add those verses. As a matter of fact, you know, we realize that when the Bible was originally written, it wasn't written in chapters and verses. That kind of was with, with King James kind of in 1610 or 1612. They kind of added the verses and stuff like that. Those aren't inspired, those verses. They just chose places, divisions where it is. I would think that it probably would have been better to start chapter 3 a couple verses before. So here I am, I'm going to be starting from John chapter 2, verse 23. I'm hoping that this will be a blessing to you. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will open our ears and speak truth to us today. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now starting John 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Now, in the King James, it says, verily, verily. Remember that? For those of you King James fans, verily, verily, actually means amen, amen. And whenever they say something twice, they want to get your attention. Truly, capital truly, I say to you is what it goes on. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, verily, verily, again, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell when it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you are not, uh, you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Now I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one can ever, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the son of man. And just as Jesus lifted up the snake in the wilderness to the Son of Man, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and, the, and, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be, may, may be seen plainly. And what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, wave at me if you have read that passage of scripture before. Now, debatably, this may be the most popular passage, the most popular chapter in all of scripture. And it may be the most popular passage in all of scripture because of this one particular verse, which is the, by far the most popular verse in all of the scriptures. Is that true? Now, I'm the type of person uh, who, when I'm in a conversation, I can usually talk uh, a little bit about, you know, you bring up whatever topic, I'll, I'll have a limited a bit of knowledge. Um, but one, one thing I know for sure is sports. I am just a sports guy. Now, I'm hoping that that doesn't discourage those people who are non-sports. I think that somehow I have been slighted by those people, non-sports people. Yeah, he's a sports guy. Automatically, they come up with all these conclusions about me, but it's not true. And I find that I'm always watching sports. As a matter of fact, most of the time, I don't watch them live because I can watch them in a fraction of the time, right? Right? I got my PVR. Right now, I am taping a game. I'm telling you right now, I'm taping a game. Not only that, I've got like three other games that are taping later on today. And there's a tennis tournament that I'm taping as well. This week, I taped the World Series. They're still playing baseball? Well, until this week, they were. My wife caught me taping speed skating last week. <laughs> speed skating? Why are you talking? Why are you? Well, because I like speed skating. I don't know. I just kind of like watching sports. Heaven help it in our household when the Olympics come. I wear out the PVR during the Olympics. And maybe you are like me, maybe you are not. But for those of us who are older, and I know that I'm aging myself at this time, there used to be a time, every time I'd watch a baseball game or whatever sporting event, there would be this individual, and I think it was a wig. Either that or he had this huge afro and it was multicolored. And for some reason, he got the best seats in the stadium. And what would happen was he would have this huge sign. And what would it say? John 3.16. World Series, Game 7. This guy would be behind home plate with John 3.16. Boxing match. John 3.16, football game. John 3.16, I'm not too sure he must have been rich. He no longer is rich because at that time it was $50 for a ticket. Now it is $1,050 for a ticket, right? So we don't see him. I'm not too sure. Maybe the network said enough of this. I'm not too sure. But stop and consider. The number of people, the millions of people who saw that. And for us, well, we know the verse, but there were probably hundreds of thousands of people during a baseball game. He said, what is this, John 3.16, anyways? And they would probably open up their Bibles. And what they would do was they would get the gospel message in one verse. 
And so, so this, is, this is the importance of the passage. But many of us don't realize, and, and a number of us, and if you're new to the faith, you, you don't know kind of the conditions that was happening behind it, what was happening and what was, was taking place. Now, just the start of, of John 3, um, it's important to realize that the premise that it was on was the fact that there were a lot of people who really liked Jesus. And the Word of God actually says this. When they saw all the miracles they did, they believed in Jesus. But the little translation says this. But Jesus didn't believe in them. And what it basically said was that there were believers that didn't believe. There were non-believing believers. There were unsaved Christians. Is that possible? Well, it seems to be. That there's a number of ways that our faith can kind of be displayed. There's what I would call, there's what I would call um, subjective belief. And that is kind of the belief that is, that is there because we just believe it. We don't really believe it at a full extent. The Bible basically says that, that the devils believe. The devil believes in God. But there's also the one which is called the superficial belief. And that was kind of the thing that Jesus and what John was exposing. That there's these people and they believed in Jesus. But the only reason that they believed in Jesus was because he was doing things for them. Or that he was entertaining them. And there's sometimes we can get locked into a thing which is called transactional faith. What's transactional faith? Transactional faith is when you say, God, you hold up your end of the bargain and I will believe in you. But if all of a sudden something goes wrong in my life, if all of a sudden things don't go the way I want them to go, then the deal is off. And their faith is based on what can be done for them. Then there's what I will call seeking faith. Seeking faith is that time where you really are curious. You really do come to the, to the point where you're asking them the important questions. But when it comes down to it, you say, I don't know if I'm willing to pay that price to commit myself totally to God. And the last one would be sincere belief. But this whole passage is based on the fact that God knew the hearts of people said that he knew what was in a man, knew what was in a person. And so, um, Jesus had opportunities, but he didn't take them for that reason. Now, what do we know about Nicodemus? We know a number of things about him as we get to look deeper into this story. Nicodemus, first of all, was a pretty religious guy. He was part of the Pharisees, probably about 6,000 alive at the time of Jesus. And many people don't realize where this Pharisaical institution started. Well, it originally started from a word that was brought to these people, which was called the parashim. And the word parashim means separate ones. And after the, the Babylonian Empire came and took the Israelites away, many of them repented and said, I want to be separate. I want to serve God with all of my heart. And so I am going to do everything I can to be separated. And it was a great thing. And so this went on, but after a couple of generations, they eventually added traditions by wise scribes, which was called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah all of a sudden began to add a whole bunch of rules, over 600 rules. And all of a sudden, the separated group became so separated that all of a sudden, what they were doing didn't even resemble what the faith Jesus wanted them to see was. And of that group, there was a thing which is called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were 70 people, ruling people, 
at that particular time, you add the high priest, there were 71 people. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was part of that group. Not only that, he was renowned. Now, if you read the King James Version, it says there was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, is what it says in, in John chapter 3, verse 1. Later on, Jesus says to them, you are the ruler of the Jews. So not only was he a ruler, he was the top dog in Jerusalem. And it doesn't get higher than Jerusalem. Everybody knew who he was. And he was rich. How do I know he was rich? Well, at Jesus' burial, he gives about 100 pounds of burial spices. That's not cheap. That was extremely, extremely expensive for him. The other thing is this, and this is kind of where we get into things. I think he was a risk taper. I believe that he was willing to go to the edge to find truth, and that's why he was there. And he comes to Jesus by night. I have always heard it say this. Now, the reason he came at night was because he was a coward. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus. And so he comes under the cloak of darkness. But scripture doesn't actually say that, does it? Just says he came by night. There's some people who have said, you know, the reason that he came at night was because he was wanting to know Jesus if he was going to back him up. He was going to say, listen, if, if I am going to back this individual up whom I'm impressed with, I would like to talk to him. I would like to vet him. I'd like to sit there and, and find out what he really believes before I completely support him. Other things is this, is that in tradition of the Jewish times, the rabbis, those people who studied deeply, did so at night. And so what he did was he met with Jesus because he wanted to sit down and have a relaxed, casual talk with him with nobody around. He would have been an important person, a busy person. Jesus, no doubt, was a busy person. He said, I just want to have some personal time with you. The word Nicodemus is a Jew. He was a Jewish person with a Greek name, which meant victory of the people. And as I studied Nicodemus, as I tried to go a little bit deeper to find out a little bit more about this guy, I came across the fact that there were things that we weren't too sure if it was truth or whether it was tradition. Some traditions say that he so much loved the people that he went to extremes to make sure that they were taken care of. He said in one particular case, there was, a, there was a time where there was not enough water. And so what he did is he kind of extended himself and a miracle kind of happened. And, and he was kind of known with this miracle having to do with water. He was, he was kind of related to a particular family, but we're not too sure if he was actually related to that family. Some people believe that he was associated with probably the top historian at that time, but we're not too sure if that is exactly true. We've heard things about his son helping out in generations next as Jerusalem, and, and, uh, as Jerusalem became uh, destructed and the temple became destructed and there were peace talks. So I've heard those things. The thing is, I don't know if all of those things are true and I don't know what is true. One thing I do know, though, is that I think he genuinely cared for Israel. He genuinely cared for the heart of the people. And so if you notice this conversation has a progression. And if you give me a few minutes, I'd like to kind of show you the progression. 
I think it starts off with a thing which I will call the consensus. Now note this. The conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus is not confrontational. It's not angry. As a matter of fact, it is friendly. It is complimentary. And I think that Nicodemus was trying to make common ground. He was trying to alleviate the tension. And this is what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, rabbi is a big name. This especially coming from the head rabbi of Jerusalem. And so what he was actually trying to do was put Jesus as at an equal level to him. Now, he didn't realize that who he was talking to at that time. That it went far above that. But he wanted to kind of embrace Jesus and say that there is a common ground. Now, at this time, Jesus could have said, hey, this is an opportunity. Is this not a great opportunity? If I could get the head dude in Jerusalem to come along with the message, this will make it a whole lot easier. If he can rubber stamp the things that he has to say, that I have to say, then all of a sudden it will be easier. I have a name going with me. I can be accepted in this. And he didn't. And that's because it says he knew what was in a man. And so he's tried to pull Jesus to a level to get him to agree with him, to create an affinity. And I believe this is interesting because the same thing happens today. I think that people always like to be friendly with Jesus. Even if I don't believe in him, I want to say nice things about him. And you will find if you talk to your neighbor and if you talk to your physician and if you talk to, to the person that you, that you uh, associate with and they don't know Jesus, that you will many times find the same thing, even if they don't believe. Yeah, I know. He was a good person. I believe a number of the things that he said was good. Some people even say that he was a prophet. He was a, an influential historical figure. And many times we want to create this connection with Jesus. That many times we want to hang across, hang around the cross, but we don't really want to surrender to it. And so this is what was happening. And this is kind of the first step in the process. To be friends with Jesus, but it's a whole lot more than being friends with Jesus, isn't it? The next, the next stage, the next progression is what I would call um, curiosity. I could also use the word hungry. But then again, you know me. They all got to start with the same letter. Consensus. Curiosity. No man can do the things that you are doing unless God is with him. There was an intrigue. Now, if you recall a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the book of John as it was created, at the time that Jesus was born... They were in subjection. They did not, they, there was no voice from God for over 400 years. And that was kind of similar to over 400 years that when they were in slavery. In there. And there was an attitude at this time, a hypersensitivity a hyper to the fact that the Messiah might be coming. And I would imagine that this may have been what Nicodemus was thinking when he sees all the things which are happening and taking place in Jesus' life. But more than that, I think he wanted to draw closer because there's an angst that demands that we go further. And it's fueled by a hole in our heart. And I believe that all of us have that hole. 
He had everything to lose. Stop and think about it. I don't need to meet this guy. I've got my own system here. I've got my own people here. Why do I want to bother with him? And so he takes a chance and he takes the step because I believe that there was something in him that he wanted, that he was curious. I'm willing to take the risk because I'm curious for truth. I'm curious for authenticity. I'm suspicious that Nick was sick of the system as well. I think he saw its problems. I think he saw its emptiness. He saw that it differed from what God really wanted and desired. You know, I, I think he realized this is something that's supposed to free people. Why is it imprisoning them? I think undoubtedly he was at the temple when Jesus threw everybody out. And I think he was in agreement, in agreement with that. And all these things are there. He was hungry for something that was real. And I believe, again, I ask us this question. Are you hungry for what is real? Well, of course I am. Here I am sitting in a church. I'm here in church every Sunday. But sometimes we can kind of get along in the process and the routine, and we forget to actually love Jesus and to find the reality of Christ working and moving. Are you willing to step past the comfort zone? Are you willing to be curious enough that you become radical? Are you willing to go past the system's boundaries? There's a reason why the system is in place, because it makes us feel safe. Are you curious enough to not be safe? If all of a sudden were you to venture out, would there be things that you don't like to see? Would there be things that God would ask you that you don't want to do? The safe zone is not, the safe zone, I'm saying, is not always God's zone. And I think that this is what was happening in Nicodemus which is why he said the things that he did. So there is curiosity. The next step comes the conflict. This is when Jesus begins to talk to him. He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hey, hey, what happened to all this nice talk? What happened to all this place? At this time, you're supposed to embrace me and say, hey, well, sure, I'm glad, welcome in. He doesn't do that. What he does instead is he challenges him. You know what? We don't like that term born again, do we? Someone says, hey, you're one of those born againers. You're one of those born again Christians, aren't you? Do we not take offense at that sometimes? Because we kind of know what they're saying, don't we? Well, you're born again. That means you're kind of weird. That kind of means that you're kind of off to the, to the far right. That is, that is where you are. You're emotionally dependent. But if you stop and consider it, Nicodemus was none of these things. He was none of these things at all. And quite likely here was where the conflict was. That Nicodemus assumed that his physical birth was the thing that did give him salvation. Hey, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jewish individual. I am part of God's chosen group. And not only that, I am obeying the law to the full. And here you are telling me that I can't see the kingdom of God. I've got all of the qualifications. The passage that says, lest he that is born of water and of the spirit. That particular verse has at least six interpretations to it. Some people think it refers to baptism. 
Other people think it has to do with some things that had happened in his past. Some people think that it, it links up to a verse in Ezekiel where he says, I will place water upon you. But really, all you need to do is let the Bible interpret itself. Because all it says is a verse later, how can I be born when I'm old? Can I enter in back into my mother's womb and be born? This is, this is kind of ridiculous. What do you mean being born in the Spirit? Did you realize that in the first seven verses of this chapter, the word born is mentioned eight times? Now, hear me here. To be born physically was not your will. Did you realize that? It wasn't like some kind, of a, some kind of entity said, hey, I want to be born. That didn't happen. You are here as a result of somebody else's choice. Is that not true? Your parents said, hey, this might be a good idea. Six months later, they said, this may not have been a good idea. I'm not too sure. Right? But you're here because of the choice of your parents, but even more so, you are here because of the choice of God. And even if you were unplanned, you were planned by God. And that gives you value. Isn't that true? This is true. You were not born because of your own choice. However, spiritual birth is not someone else's will. It's not someone else's choice. It's a choice that you make. And let me just tell you here, this whole thought about being born again, it isn't the first time in the book of John that John mentions it. If you take a look in John chapter 1, verses 12, but as many as received him, to them gave him power to become sons of God, is what it said. And it goes on and it says, born not of natural descent or of human descent, decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And in Nicodemus' confusion, Jesus goes on and he says this, the wind blows whatever it wants and you can't tell whether it's coming or whether it is going. But you certainly can feel wind, can't you? As a matter of fact, did you know what the Greek word for wind is? Pneuma. Do you know what the Greek word for spirit is? Pneuma. So when they say that verse, there's a play on words. The wind blows where it listens. The pneuma blows where it listens. So is everyone born of the pneuma. It uses the same word twice. It's talking about the fact that how can I tell if I'm spiritually born? Well, you can feel the wind. You know when it happens. You know when it's coming, when it's going. You know, if you go outside in a hurricane, you might sit there and say, hey, it's, it's windy outside. Why? Because you just had a station wagon hit you in the side or something to that effect. If you're in a hurricane. There's a feeling there is something that happens inside. And Jesus begins to talk about this. And he goes deeply. How can these things be? So there are times that God causes conflict in our lives. Are you conflicted? Hey, God, you were supposed to move this way, and you're not moving this way. The times that we have conflict in our lives are the times when God is convicting us, when God is wanting to go a little bit further in our lives. He says in verse 11, we speak that we may know, we testify that we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He doesn't say, I speak that I may know. He says, we. It's a Trinitarian thing. He's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus at this point is scratching his head. 
He thought he had an answer. He was part of a system that he thought was supposed to work. And he's so hungry that he knows that there's something wrong. And Jesus begins to speak deeply into his heart. And as we get into verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, you begin to see a thing which is called the conversion, the next step. And he uses a number of verses and things that he says. There are three indispensable elements of getting to know Jesus. Things that you can't do without. The first thing is this. There's the source in verse 13. In in, in verse 13, it, it says this. It says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. The process of salvation isn't you going up. What Jesus says, the way you get saved is man reaching down. And we think that this is an easy thing, but so many people try and earn their way to God. So many people try and do everything that they possibly can to get closer to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not the way that it works. Is man coming down? Is the initiation of God? The second is the sacrifice. This is confusing to some people. It says, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What is he talking about? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21, a group of people that were complaining, all of a sudden God loses his patience in the process, and all of a sudden these snakes start coming up, biting the people. And they all end up beginning to die. And they go to Moses and said, please pray to God for us for a solution. We are all going to die. Remember the story? And so what God tells Moses to do is he said, put a bronze serpent on a stick. And lift it up. And tell any person who was bitten by a snake that they need to look at the snake. Remember the story? And they were healed. But there's some things that needed to be done. First of all, they needed to realize that they weren't going to be cured. That the only way that they're going to be cured is looking at the serpent. And the other thing they had to do is they had to believe in faith that looking at that serpent was going to heal them. Would have been very easy to say, well, what's that all about looking at a serpent? What do they mean that's going to save me? It was a sacrifice. So when it talks about the Son of Man being lifted up, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with worship. It has to do with him dying. And Jesus begins to tell Nicodemus that this is the process. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word only begotten comes from a Greek word which says monogamous. Monogamous is one of those words that you can't really use enough English words to describe. It's not really talking about being begotten. It's talking about being the one and only. God sends his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him, there's that word again, believes, used over a hundred times in the book of John, won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. That word believe can be thrown around really easy, can't it? The best way for me to describe this is, in, and, and maybe you've heard the story, but it's to me is the best way to describe it. In 1860, Charles Blondin went to Niagara Falls. And he put a tight rope across the Niagara Gorge. And he walked across, and he walked across again. And then what he did is he got a chair, and he sat in it, and he made an omelet on it. And then he went again with a wheelbarrow. 
And this is what he said. He goes to the crowd. How many of you believe that I can push a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Gorge on tightrope? And they said, we believe it can do it. The applause goes up. And then he said this. Who will be my first volunteer? <laughs> Did they really believe? Isn't that true? He ended up getting his manager. Hey, by the way, if you want to know the rest of the story. It's an incredible it's an incredible thing to realize what God has done for us. And this is the conclusion that he begins to talk about. To this guy who was supposed to know everything and didn't, and had to bring him to a point where he said, you think you know everything, but really you don't. And all of a sudden we have what is the, what we will call the, um, the conviction the verses after John 3.16 are extremely important. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world so that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God, the one and only son of God. And unfortunately, many people don't. Many people figure, I'll do it my own way. All I need to do is just continue to do good things. I think that I'll make it. If I observe this philosophy, or I want to believe the Bible, but I want to believe the Bible, and I want to believe this as well. It says, this is the verdict. It's kind of like light. Light has come into the world, and you will either be attracted to the light, or you won't. And the choice is yours. And that still is the same today. Sometimes, and I'm not perfect, but I get sick of the system. I get sick of the unspoken rules that say I'm supposed to worship this way, I'm supposed to do that, I've got to obey these rules. And I think that God many times says this, I know what's in your heart. You might as well come to me just the way you are. Amen? What would you say to Jesus if you came to him in the middle of the night? They don't know what happened. People think, did he actually make it? Did he get rebuked so much that he walked away? Well, you find in John chapter 7, he's defending Jesus to the Sanhedrin. And then in John chapter 19, he spends 100 pounds on burial spices. While everyone else is scattered, him and Joseph of Arimathea prepare him. They say that 100 pounds of burial spices was something that was reserved for royalty. This is what he thought of Jesus. Not only that, if you think a little bit deeper, he forfeited celebrating the Passover because he had to handle a dead body. He said, I'm not going to. You may not think that that's a big deal, but that is a huge deal. Some of the traditions, some, some minute my, uh, manuscripts basically say that eventually he left the Sanhedrin. As a result, he lost a lot of his money. Some traditions say that he stayed with this guy named Gamaliel. We hear about Gamaliel in Acts chapter 1 and 2. He was Paul's teacher. I don't know. All I know is that the message 
that Jesus had for him is the message which is alive and is truthful for you and me here today. I don't know where you stand. And uh, because we have so much live streaming, I'm not too sure who is here. Maybe you're here and you're hungry for God. And maybe you're here and you've been coming to church for a long time and you've been serving God for a long time. But for some reason, you just find yourself hungry for authenticity, for something which is real. God knows your heart. So God, I just pray as we prepare for communion, I ask God that you will move in a powerful way. I pray that this will be a unique time, a time where the Spirit of God moves in all of our hearts. And for those who might be here, you don't know Jesus. As Pastor Glenn had explained it earlier, is the process of saying, God, come into my heart. Really come into my heart. I give myself to you. I surrender myself to you. If you want to make that decision and you desire to make that decision, I urge you to come meet me at the altar. We'll pray together. Don't let something like that important to go by. So it says in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to participate in communion at this time. For the host of you who might be here for the first time, there's two little things. There's a little plastic clear one, which has the wafer. The second tab has the grape juice. God, when we consider what you did, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that he gave God, came and died for himself, for, for us, for, for our sins. We thank you for the broken body of Christ and we participate together. I pray in Jesus' name that today will be a day of salvation for anybody who hears this message and doesn't know Jesus. I pray that your spirit will convict and that God, today will be a day of life because your blood washes us from all sins. We ask you, Father, to move in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.